Good day everyone, you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 122, Snap, Crackle, and you can leave out the pop. I'm your host Alex, and today I have the honor to have Justin as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? I'm always good. How are you, Alex? I'm doing fantastic. After you contacted me, I went to go check out that website, and man, I was impressed. Uh-huh. It was so cool, like in the sound and this is like the visual. I'm like, oh yeah, it's just going to be like cracking the whip, but there's a lot more to it. So I'm definitely pumped up to see what you're going to teach me today. Oh, awesome. I'm excited to talk about it. It's like my favorite thing in the whole world. So Perfect. We'll showcase it for a good solid 30 minutes, an hour, five hours, however long it takes. Oh, perfect. Before we do that, I'm sure the audience would love to learn more about Justin. So who is Justin? Uh, so my name is Justin Bereski, and I've been whip cracking for, oh, geez, like more than 10 years anyway, probably 12 or 13 years now. See, it's kind of hard because there wasn't anyone to teach me. Um, and so I'd like to say that my style is kind of my own, which is really cool. But obviously, I have a lot of influences, too. And after, you know, 10 years of, of trying to learn more and, and do my own stuff, like I've created a website which teaches people about whip cracking. Um, and I kind of do this in my spare time, but I also put a lot of effort into teaching other people how to crack whips and try and make the hobby bigger in Canada because I think it's super cool and, you know, just an awesome thing that I'd like to spread everywhere. So it is definitely cool. That's awesome. That's definitely cool. And that's a good introduction as well. And I'm sure before we go into the topic, I'm sure people would love to learn more about you and whip cracking and this website you mentioned. So where can people find you or even find the website about whip cracking? Yeah. So if you go to canadawhips.com, that's sort of the homepage that I've made for whip cracking in Canada, but also um, around the world. One of the problems that I had starting whip cracking was that there wasn't any resources online and, and all the information was really hard to come by. And so I've tried to create this website as a way to teach people and give them a place to find everything that they need to know. And if you want to know more about me and watch more of the stuff that I do, you can check out my Instagram, um, which is j.whipper. Or you can check out my Facebook page, which is Justin Whipper Bereski. Perfect. I'll put all that information below so people can come check it out, show some support, show some love, you know, and just follow your whipping journey. If that's a saying. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And now today we're going to just going to jump right into the topic of whip cracking. So mind giving a little definition of what that is for people who might not know what it is. Yeah. So whip cracking is sort of the art of, of moving a whip around your body. Um, getting it to crack in in different ways, like there's different motions that create the whip crack, um, as well as combining that with throws or wraps, or maybe you have two whips at once and you're intertwining them. It's basically anything that you do with the whip to get it to create sound and also make like beautiful and dynamic movements um, around your body for whatever reason, whether it be sport or performance, circus, dance, etc. And actually for you, how did you actually get introduced to whip cracking? You said you've done it for many, many years, but it's not like you just found a whip on the ground like, you know what, I'm going to crack it. I'm sure you've probably saw it on TV or a family member or a pamphlet in a very, very nice hotel. I don't don't, don't know. (laughs) No, no pamphlet, unfortunately. So my, my great-great-grandfather worked on a cattle farm in Hungary. And in Hungary, they would crack whips to herd the cattle, specifically the pigs. And so that kind of idea got passed down through my family where every guy would learn how to crack a whip. But by the time that it got to me, I was about you know 10 or 11 and I had my grandfather's old whip. Um, and I just learned this one crack called the overhead crack. And I practiced that for a long time until I got it really comfortably. And then Eventually, I found videos of people that were really good doing, you know, tricks and routines and whatever. And so I would download those videos 
and put them through, you know, Windows Movie Maker and slow them down and then try and copy those moves in my backyard. And then it was like a long time doing that until I had most of the basics down. And then from there, it's, you know, trying to learn harder stuff or making up your own stuff, um, getting different whips and seeing how they operate. And uh, yeah, that was kind of the, the majority of my journey getting into the hobby. And did you ever teach your other family members how to do the more complicated tricks? I tried. Uh, don't get me wrong, but like, <laughs> it's hard. Like my dad, for example, can do a couple cracks, but because he's been doing them for so long, like, and to him, that's all there was. When I try and show him new and crazy stuff, he's like, ah, I'm just going to keep doing the stuff that I already know how to do. You know what I mean? He's like, you know what? This works out for me. I don't need to do no fancy stuff. And you're like, you know what? I like to be more adventurous. And I, you know, I appreciate both methods. Mm-hmm, exactly. There's the traditional and there's the, you know, adventurous. And, uh, He's definitely more traditional, but also, I mean, he's he's 60 now and moving around probably isn't as easy for him as it is for me. So, you know, you got to do what you know how to do. Yeah, exactly. And for you, I don't know if you can, I guess you can t- tell me, but uh, how many tricks, if they're considered tricks, but how many moves can you do? Oh, it, <laughs> that's a hard question to answer. Like, I would say a lot, which <laughs> does not sound cocky. There's way more that I'd love to learn. And And one of the great things about this hobby, in my opinion, is that it's still like there's not a lot of people that know about it which can kind of suck sometimes because you want to share it with people but also it means there's a lot of room for creation and there's a lot of new moves that are being made like every day um and so i really don't know how many tricks i can't do because every day i see something new that's like wow that's so cool and it inspires me to try it or try something new so I th- and i think that's the experience of every whipcracker like we all have a list of moves that we want to learn and we all have a list of moves that we think we've made ourselves and it's sort of combining those two things which create our our style in the art form. Okay. And on that note, how many tricks have you made? Like the, your own personal Justin Touch? The trick that I'm most known for is called the skip over. And it's a two-handed trick where you have two whips and they're both operating in the same plane. So in front of you and one whip gets thrown over the other, you catch it and then crack it immediately after catching it. And then you crack the other one and then you change direction. And so they're sort of creating this circle in front of you where the whips are being thrown and caught and cracked. Routine is probably my most popular routine just because um, it, it's it's simple enough for an intermediate person to learn and understand. But also there's a lot of variations on it. Like Aaron Bonk, for example, who's a really, really good whipcracker, made another routine based on it called the Crazy 88, which is super cool. Um, and it's kind of the same thing, but with more cracks because Aaron's better than me. Um, but other than that one, like I've made a trick called the Toronto twist. Um, a lot of whip, whip tricks are named based on where they're from and I'm from Toronto. So the Toronto twist is another really cool one. Um, and I've made a trick called back to back and I've made a trick called favorite and like I've made a lot, I, I guess, but all of the tricks that I've made are, are based on moves that I do and that not a lot of other people do. Um, so they involve throws and they involve wraps and they involve uh, like kind of weird and unorthodox moves because that's what I'm interested in. Um, but the amount of moves that I've made that are based on like traditional whip cracking is relatively low just because my skill set isn't quite there yet. Man, I could just imagine the possibilities are endless and I have a very bad imagination. So I would have to look this up online. If you have your videos of you doing your tricks, I'd be like, oh, that's what it was. It is completely opposite of what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I invite you to look at them and hopefully you know, you'll see them and be inspired and think, oh, but he could also do this. And then you can let me know. And then I'll try and do it. Because like I said, there's a million things that haven't been tried yet. And so I'd love, 
yeah. And whenever someone gives me a new idea, I'm like, yes, I'm going to work on this. You know what I mean? I could just imagine right after this episode, I have like a pair of headphones and I'm trying to pretend to do a whip. My wife is going to be like, what are you doing, Alex? I'm like, I'm doing what Justin told me. I'm doing this move. (laughs) (laughs) And I ended up poking my eye out, which is usually the case. (laughs) But whips are not usually made out of headphones. So what kind of whip do you prefer to use? Whips can be made out of a variety of different things. And actually, just recently, Adam Winrich, who's a really famous whip cracker, posted a video of all of these different whips made of different materials. Uh, But the three most common are made of nylon, cowhide, or kangaroo leather. Uh, I like to use nylon just because, again, I'm Canadian and leather can't get wet. And so I like to use nylon because it it can and I can crack through the winter or through the rainy days or whatever crazy weather we're having. So that's my preference. And also it comes in a variety of really nice colors and whatever. But um, kangaroo leather typically makes the best whip. So I like those too, but they're expensive and you have to take care of them. And frankly, like I'm kind of lazy in that regard. I'd rather just grab a whip that I know will work and take it out. And speaking of which, how many whips have you had and have you named them? I tried to count my whips the other day, actually, but I lost count uh, because some of them like are they're in different spots. I know I have at, at least 30 right now, like probably eight of which I use regularly and the other 22 are for like other things. Um, I haven't named any, but the whips that I do have like I name them based on their their maker. So if say I'm asking my girlfriend to grab me a set of whips from inside, I would say like, can you grab me Simon's whips or can you grab me, um, you know, Conrad's whips or Eddie's whips? Um, and like the the way a whip maker makes a whip, they all have the kind of their own touch, and you can feel in the whip and and by the design of the whip, like who made it. Um, and so in my mind, like I, I think about my whips in terms of like what aspects Eddie Vasquez has put into it or what aspects Simon Martin has put into it. And then, and then that's kind of how I yeah, name them, I guess. And you said they can also be very customizable as in what the colors may look like. So do you have one that has a really cool, awesome color set? Yeah, I have a, an eight foot bullet made by Tori Fisher, which I really, really love. And in, I think, October of 2018, he released a line of whips that were all uh, kind of Halloween monster themed. Maybe it was 2019. I'm not sure. But anyway, I have this cool whip that's vampire themed. And so it's in black and white. And in the handle, he has like uh, crucifixes and coffins and stuff patterned and braided into the handle. And then along the the, like thicker part of the whip, there's this red cord that goes around like blood. And it just looks super, super cool. I've never seen anything like it before. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, one way or another, I'm going to buy this whip. Um, And then eventually someone else bought it. I was super bummed out. But then they wanted to trade it. And so I was the first one there, like, I will trade you anything that I own for this, <laughs> this awesome bullet. And that, yeah, that's definitely my favorite artistic wise. It's just, it's stunning. It's amazing. And if you had the chance to make your own, what would you put on it? Um, so right now I'm learning to make whips, actually. it's It's been a labor of love for sure. But um, I, what I want to learn is to be able to braid like names and like letters and words into the handles. That's something I think is really awesome. And I've seen a lot of whips where people will braid their last name into it or whatever. And it's just kind of their own personal, like, this is my whip, my name is in it. Uh, You know what I mean? And that's kind of what I'm working on right now. I would love to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. My name, I have two last names and that'd make the handle a lot longer. So yeah, (laughs) just as long as the actual whip part. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they have uh, these whips called Bullock whips in Australia and the handles are five feet long and you crack them with two hands. They're huge and they're super loud. So 
even if you had a really long name, like you could, uh, you could definitely put it on there if you wanted to. Yeah, my name is a mini sentence. I have thirty-three letters in my name, so yeah, <laughs> a five-foot uh, handle is perfect. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's all you need. Yeah. And for you, what would you say is the best part about whip cracking on a personal and an emotional level? I think uh, the creation aspect is what I find the most fulfilling. I love going out and practicing, and I'll be doing a move that maybe I'm stuck on, like. Uh, for example, right now, there's a move called Headhunter, which was made by an Australian named Angie Mooney, uh, which is really cool. I'm working on it, but I, I'm kind of stuck on it. And so I'll play around with it and try and get it. And then as I'm playing around with it, I'll realize like, oh, but I could do this instead, or I could do this also. And all of a sudden, this noob trick, which is like way more interesting because a part of me is in it attainable in a way. And so that's what I work on. And that kind of brings a lot of joy and to my life because it's like, I feel like I'm contributing to this thing that's constantly growing and um, I'm putting my spin on things that I think are cool. And for someone like me, who's, I'm not artistic at all. Like I couldn't draw if you put a gun to my head, you know what I mean? This is sort of my way of, I want to say dancing. I, I can't dance either. It's embarrassing if <laughs> I try, but <laughs> like I could be at the club and just a go-to is just to pretend that I have whips in my hand. You know, people are like, man, that guy's crazy, but he's into the music, you know, but I'm, yeah. Anyway, so that's my favorite part is just is making new routines and patterns. Um, I really, really love that. And I also love showing other people, teaching other people, because the way a whip sounds, the way it moves, is, it's like nothing else. So many times I've been practicing and people have come up and asked, like, what are you doing? What is that? How do I learn? Uh, the sound draws them in and the motions draw them in. Um, and so it's, it's just like an experience you can't get anywhere else. It's such a unique and beautiful thing. And that's why it brings so much fulfillment to my life. And I could imagine it can draw crowds from far away. Like, what does that sound? I want to go towards it. I want to find it. And then they come up and see you like, whoa, this is cool. And I can also imagine you at the club, you saying you're moving your arms as if you're holding a whip, but I can, for half a second, I'm like, oh, you go to the club with your whips and like, keep your distance, everybody. <laughs> I'm just making, this is my space. Get out of my space. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the whips are great for that, for sure. Not to put you on the spot, but what is the oddest thing you saw? And you're like, you know what? I can make that into a move. <laughs> I saw a move with, it was a big staff and someone was like, they were spinning it around their head and then they wrapped it around their shoulder and it kind of like came out underneath their shoulder and then popped up on the other side, like on the other side of their neck. And it was just like the staff rolled around, you know, their torso and I thought, maybe that's a thing. And so I was playing around with that. And it turns out that it is totally possible. You just have to kind of change the angle a little. And you throw the whip kind of around your back and through your armpit. And then the heavier part of the whip, which is called the thong, comes up. And then you let go and the whip will like just flip over your head and land on the other side. And as soon as I caught that the first time, I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. Like It was just my obsession for the next like three or four weeks. I'm trying to think what like other tricks can I do that combine with this? How can I put this into two handed routines? Like it was just this obsession because it was such a unique and kind of cool feeling move that you know, had never been done before. I love the creativity aspect of it. You're like, you know what? I see this. I can do something with this. This is can be transformed into a whip trick. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. I'm, I'm really pumped about that. I love people who think outside the box. <laughs> yeah, it's super cool. And I think it's really helpful because for me, I get inspired by other props and, and maybe other props will see me doing their moves with a whip and think, oh, well, I can do that with my props. So like I could probably do that with a whip and then the community grows in that way. And I think that whips are kind of, there's such a, an interesting um, crowd drawing prop, like you've said. 
and and yet they're very underrepresented in circus and in flow arts and other things. And so I think like bridging that gap is super important because you know when you're back in in elementary school and you're at recess with your friends, right? And you're just kind of figuring out like what to do, and you guys are goofing around, and maybe like you see a, a post and you're like, man, I'm going to try and hit that rock, hit that post with a rock, you know. Uh, but when circus people get together, they have that kind of mindset, but their skill set is so much higher. So instead of can I hit that post with a rock, it's like, man, could I backflip off of your shoulders <laughs> and land on his shoulders? Um, <laughs> and so that's that's kind of what I hope for with whips and other like and jugglers and, and whatever, like, you know, bringing that kind of creativity um, in the moment when we're all hanging out, kind of doing our own thing and combining ideas and, and whatnot. And here comes my odd creativity right now. Have you ever done or considered, let's say, I don't know how would I explain it exactly, but let's say glow in the dark like whip or like a coating on the whip that wouldn't ruin the whip, but you, then you would have like a slow motion video and it's kind of like dark and you can see like the whip in the like neon colors and stuff like that. Uh, that's so that's a cool idea. And it's been, a, it's been done in a couple different ways. I know Dakota Winrich um, has made whips out of uh, paracord. That's like uh, UV glow in the dark or whatever, uh, which is cool. April Choi made these really, really cool whips a long time ago that were made of uh, light up, like LED strands. So these things, the, the battery was in the handle, I think, and you'd press the button and the whole whip would light up. And it was so, so cool. And she was prototyping it. And then she said she would sell me one. And then that just never happened. And I'm still like waiting. I'm like, come on, like make this a real thing. But now she's working for NASA. So I mean, she's probably on to more important things, you know, less important to me. <laughs> um, so that's been done. And then they also have Kevlar whips, which you soak in kerosene or uh, white gas and you light them on fire. That's another really cool like aspect of light with the whip. And the cool thing too is if a whip gets wet and it cracks, uh, a little bit of water vapor comes off the whip and it makes like this sort of puff of smoke. But when the whip is soaked in Kevlar, the same thing happens, but it makes a little cloud of Kevlar. And if the whip is lit on fire after being soaked in Kevlar, when you crack the whip um, and that little puff of Kevlar comes off, it lights up. And so every time you crack the whip, it creates like a, a fireball. And it's just the most stunning, like it's the coolest thing anyone has ever seen ever. And if anyone disagrees with me, they're, you know, they're lying. It's, it's just so <laughs> And so like that's another way that light um, and heat and, and stuff have been combined with whip cracking in a really cool way. Well, for your friend who was going to make you that whip, if she's listening to this podcast, you can even share this podcast, especially this specific moment right here. Like, yeah, I'm still waiting for that whip. So if you're listening, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> I'll pay good money for it. And if anyone else listening has the capabilities of making a whip, that is like made of LED strands and will light up and is battery powered, please contact me because <laughs> I want one so bad. Well, you know what? All the contact information will be below. So people listening who can do that, just, you know, do, do Justin a favor. Come on. He's a friend. He's, he's family. He's a human. Come on. Just give him the LED whip. <laughs> yeah, but I will pay you good money, please. Speaking about money, this is a really weird transition, but competitions, you can win money. And for you, do you prefer doing casual whip cracking or do you like doing competitive whip cracking i would say it's it's a mix of both for sure i enjoy competitions because i get to meet other people and i see them sort of at their best see their style and whip crackers it's rare that we get together there's there's some areas where whip crackers will meet up like in los angeles there's a meetup or in australia there might be people that meet up together but in North America, especially where I'm from, it's rare that I come across another whipcracker. And so I love to go to competitions because I get to see everyone again. 
uh, see what people have learned. And also it pushes me to be better and um, work on kind of tricks that I, I know I need to work on if I want to do better. So I really like that. Um, I like the competitive aspect too, just because it's, it's, yeah, it's a drive. Um, but casual whip cracking is the most fun because it gives me the time to be creative, gives me the time to try new things and make mistakes. And I know that there's a, there's a ton of tricks that I can do on my Instagram and you'll look at them and be like, wow, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Uh, hopefully you'll, you'll think that you won't just think, man, this guy's a weirdo, but <laughs> I don't want to do those tricks in competition because I know, you know, I only land it one in a hundred times, right? I'm not going to do a, a throw where I throw the whip behind the back and catch the whip also behind the back without even looking at it. Like I wouldn't do that in a competition. I, I'm not that brave. Um, so that's kind of why I like casual whip cracking because it lets me have fun and not be focused on like, I have to do everything absolutely perfectly and smile at the crowd and, and you know what I mean? So yeah, it's, it's give and take. It's a bit of both. And on the competitive side, how is competitive whip cracking judged? It depends on where, where you are. So in Los Angeles at the LA whip, LA whip con, which happens every year, you, we have a bunch of different sort of games. So you have targets where you'll try and hit the most pieces of spaghetti off of one piece of spaghetti or stuff like that. But the main competition is a single hand freestyle and a, a double hand freestyle. So it's they're both one minute long and you have um, three cracks that you have to do three times at the beginning. So there's a crack called the Cattleman's Crack, which is just a basic up and down crack. Then you have a fast figure eight which is a cattleman's crack followed by another crack, which is sort of almost ricocheted off the first crack. And then you have a volley, which is six cracks that are all chained together in the same way the fast figure eight is chained. And so you have to do each of those three things three times. And that takes up, you know, maybe maybe 15 or 20 seconds. And then the other 40 seconds is based on just you freestyling, doing tricks and, and whip cracking. Um, and you get points for not missing any cracks. So if you go through the whole 40 seconds after that, without having missed any cracks, then you basically got perfect. And then you go into the tiebreaker round. And if not, well, then you get, but you know, lower second or third or whatever. And then we do that with one hand and with two hands. The tiebreaker is typically 10 or 15 seconds of just your best, hardest routine. A lot of people will save that stuff for the tiebreaker because they want to make it there. So for example, at the LA WhipCon this past year in the single hand freestyle, I did a bunch of pretty basic stuff just that I knew was safe. And then in the tiebreaker, I did a lot more difficult stuff, which ended up ended up not paying off because I dropped my whip. And then that was, <laughs> that was yeah, put me into third place. But it, I mean, I'm happy that I placed third. So that's the way that that's done in America. And then in Australia, they have a very traditional kind of atmosphere around whip cracking. And so you have to dress in the traditional Australian like stockman uh, garb, which is a wide-brimmed hat and a collared shirt and like nice pants and whatnot. And then you go up and you do 10 tricks. And each trick is rated from 1 to 25 in terms of points based on how difficult it is, how well you execute the routine. Uh, typically, the tricks are rated in between 1 and 20. But say I went up and I did a really great trick and you gave me 20 points. But then um, Daniel Wicks, who's the best whip cracker in the world, went up and did the same trick, but he did it better than me. Because he does every trick better than me because he's Daniel <laughs> <laughs> They have to give him more points. And so they, that's why they made the 25-point system. So you do 10 tricks like that. Uh, and then after that, you do a one-minute freestyle. And the one-minute freestyle is typically some sort of combination of all the 10 tricks that you've done. 
uh, previously because those are the tricks that you know the best. But people are really tired by the end of that because doing 10 tricks, it like takes a lot out of you, especially if you want all the cracks to be loud and everything to be perfect. And then to go and whip crack for one straight minute, it's just your arms want to fall off, you know, so you know, they, they're amazing over there for sure. And on the same topic of competitiveness, would you like to go first or you're more the type that you like to go last? Is it easier to be judged first or judged last? That's, that's a really tough question. I think I like to go maybe second or third, like I'll let a couple other people go just to get the nerves out of the way. And then, yeah, I, I definitely don't want to see other people do their stuff because there's, there's names in the crowd that I look around. I'm like, I know these people are spectacular. And what happened in LA this year, which kind of worked out in my favor, but uh, I went near the end and I saw Todd go, uh, Todd Rex, I saw Torrance Fisher go. Um, and just like both of them are amazing. I look up to them and I knew like, oh, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do well here, I need to take some risks, you know? Um, and so when I got up, I was like, I'm just going to go for it and it ended up working out. And then I ended up taking second in the two-handed division, which was nice, really unexpected. But I think 90% of the time, if that was the case, it just would have went horribly because I would like throw my wits and drop them and the pressure would get to me and whatever. So it just, you know, things went right on that day, but I know that normally they probably wouldn't have been right. So I can imagine for you actually on that note, what helps you get in the zone to get into a competition of whip cracking? Do you listen to music? Do you practice a little bit or are you just like stay silent and just do some meditation? Um, I think it's it's a lot of practice and then a lot of doing moves that I'm confident with, but also that I know only I can do because I've made them up. It's like I'll, I might run through a routine called favorite or the Toronto twist or, or whatever. And um, because I made those moves, like I know the ins and outs of them. I know how they're supposed to feel and I know what works and what doesn't work. And even though they're hard routines, they're easier for me to get sometimes than the intermediate routines just because I work so hard to be able to achieve them, right? Uh, and so that's kind of what gets me in the zone is like, I feel like, okay, I can do these things that I know are really hard. So I'm going to go up there and I'm going to do things that are slightly less hard and slightly less risky. And it should be okay because I can do these really hard things. And now to go back in time, even before we were born, did you ever take the time to learn the history of whip cracking? Um, I, I mean, I try to. It's definitely something that's a work in progress for me because there's a lot of different histories and roots where whip cracking has been important throughout the world. And to learn all of them is tough, especially because it might not all be written down or, or what have you. So I know that the, the very first whip, which you can call it because it's like it's long and it's tapered and it breaks the sound barrier, would be, as scientists imagine, the tail of the Apatosaurus, which is a dinosaur that had a long tail that could like flick and the tail was so long and tapered just right that it would crack like a whip, which is really cool. And then obviously being Hungarian, I've looked into a little of where whip cracking in Hungary came from and all that stuff. But what's the most interesting to me is the routines that I know and the routines that I love. Who created those? How did that happen? Um, and so that's something I've really been working on talking to people like Adam Winrich or James Patrick Scott, both lovely people. Um, and they know us so, so much. And I'll ask them, like, this is a routine, like, um, I think a routine. Cross March, for example, the cross march is a rhythmic routine that a ton of people know, but no one really talks about like where it came from or who made it. And so that's something that I want, I just want to know. I want to know who did this, why did they do it, when did they do it, what inspired them to do it. And hearing about their journey um, not only inspires me more, but kind of validates me exploring um, and, and like realizing that like 
you know, there's there's always more to be contributed and, and contributing is important because if, if I care about where the cross march came from, like it's because it, it just matters, you know, and I think the people matter, especially in the small community. And you know what? Maybe 50 years from now or 100 years from now, there's somebody's going to be like, you know what? I want to know where the, the Justin Whipcrack comes from. I don't know if that's going to be the name of it, but like uh, any of your moves, like where's the orig- uh, origin of this move? Cool. From Justin? Oh, that's awesome. And you know, that's, that's the cool thing. I love how you're still enthusiastic of learning past moves and the origins, not just like, oh, that's how you do the move. You're like, no, but who was inspired to do this move? How they got into the mindset of doing it? And it's kind of like you get to enjoy the mood, move more. I get it. Mm-hmm. And, and you also learn like, so there's a move called ha- Hassett's Four Corners and it's considered to be the hardest trick that you can do. Um, and that's a move that a lot of people struggle with. And for me, learning about sort of where it came from was important because it's like, it's actually a variation on a combination of other moves. And so it's like, okay, well, if I want to learn this move, then I should try and learn it the same way the person that invented it learned it. Because then A, I'll have a better sense of how it's done. And B, it'll be easier for me to progress into just doing it. It's, it's just like a helpful, awesome thing to do. And I think that I hope that more people are doing it. And I think that they probably are. And on that note, how long does it usually take you to master a new move? It, it really depends. Like sometimes I'll see a move on Instagram um, or Facebook or what have you that's, that I've never seen before. And if it's Something that I've like completely never seen before, a completely new idea. It could take me days or weeks or what have you. But because I've been doing this for a fairly long time and I'm confident in a bunch of other moves, sometimes um, someone will make a trick and it'll just be a variation on another trick. And then it's it's not that difficult to learn because I already know most of it, you know. So I could learn it in, in maybe a couple hours or a day or what have you. And that's I think another benefit of the community being a little bit small and also not communicating as much as I think we could is like, sometimes I'll, I'll learn a really difficult trick, for example, and I'll just feel like, okay, cool. This is uh, Danny's trick. And then later I'll see a trick that was done. That's a lot easier, but it's just sort of a beginner version of the trick that Danny did. And it's like, oh, so this is where Danny got that. And also I can now do this without having to have even learned it because I've already learned the other thing. So that, that's kind of cool. Obviously, I wish that our community was a lot bigger and that we communicated more. Um, and then that way, that probably wouldn't happen anymore, which is fine because I'd have more friends. Um, but and for the meantime, like it's a silver lining. Well, hopefully I'm doing my part on my end to just send out your message and people listening uh, might be interested in picking it up. And people who are actually doing whip cracking as of now might get in contact with you. So I am the messenger. Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> and, you know, learning a new move, it could take you a little while. And in that time, injuries, are those common? And if so, have you ever injured yourself while doing some whip cracking? I think injuries are, <laughs> I guess, necessary. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope that doesn't scare anyone. <laughs> um, like it's it's not like it's something everyone exper- like everyone who whip cracks has hit themselves with a whip for sure. And that's a reason a lot of people don't keep going is because they get scared of the whip or they think, oh, I'm going to hit myself again. And and in fairness, you might, but the real thing is when a whip cracks, like it needs to be done so specifically and so accurately. It's not really something that you can just accidentally make happen. And so. Like, unless that happens, um, you just really get hitting by a rope and it's not that big of a deal. But there's like an element of fear and so people get freaked out about it. But if if you're going to make the whip crack and when a whip cracks, it, it can do a lot of damage, right? It can cut a pop can clean in half, no problem, which is super cool, but also scary. But in order to make that happen, like you need to be doing it properly. 
And if you're doing it properly, you're not going to hit yourself. So there's, there's like not a lot of danger in my opinion. It's just like more fear that causes the, the pain. You know, you, you think something's hot, you touch it and you think you've burned yourself, but really it's not that hot. It's just like your, your brain telling you that you've burned yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I get what you mean. It's more of like a mind state. Like you got mind over matter. Exactly. However, that being said, like you can seriously hurt yourself with the whip. Um, and I've seen it done and I've done it to myself. There's one crack called the overhand flick, which I, I almost never do. And the reason I never do it is because when I was learning, I hurt myself really badly. And, and like, I just was like, ah, I'm going to stay away from this. I could do it now, but it's rare that I will because I don't want to take the risk. <laughs> um, but when I did it, I, so you have to throw the whip sort of backwards and it hovers behind you. And then you throw it forward and it kind of goes past you and then cracks in front of you. But when I did that, the whip ended up catching my ear just as it was about to crack. And I, it was excruciating. Like I dropped to the ground and I was bleeding and I was just like in so much pain, absolutely miserable. Um, but that's, you know, that's a part of it. Like it's, it's a risk you take and it happens to everyone in some capacity, but how much joy that it brings and, and sort of the, the, the feeling of, of having control of that much power is really addicting and really fun. So I think a lot of people just kind of get through it and realize it's not usually as bad as you think it is. And then. It's only really bad, like, you know, very rarely. And the better you get, the less often you hit yourself, I'd say. Now, I would consider myself a complete amateur knowing nothing about this. But due to my lack of imagination, I would imagine risk, using your risk, like you can sprain your wrists, or is that something that happens sometimes? So you have to learn how to properly do the whip? I think muscle soreness is a big thing for me. My forearms are usually sore just from the different types of things that I do. Uh, it's not a lot of wrist, it's more arm. But I will say that the hands do take a fair bit of a beating. And my right hand actually, um, on the back of it, in between my index finger and my thumb, there's like, a, uh, it's, it's almost like permanently swollen <laughs> because I've hit myself so many times. Uh, a callus is like developed. Um, so that part of my hand is quite tough compared to my other hand. But that's just because I typically use my right hand more when I'm doing one-handed stuff and when I'm learning stuff, I hit myself. You just hate that specific spot in your hand. That's, that's, that's the only reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is. Yeah. It's like a weird, it's like, Oh, I hit that spot again. You know, especially in Canada in the winters, like when it's minus 20 out and you hit yourself in the bare hand with a whip, it's, it's super painful. It's, it's turned me off winter whip packing altogether, frankly. I know exactly where you're coming from. Cause I'm in Ottawa. So I, I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful being there without the whips like a beautiful city but man it gets cold yeah yeah and for you what was your biggest challenge when you first started whip cracking uh like i said before i think it was about not knowing uh, there's not a lot of it there wasn't a lot of information online and i mean thankfully there were some videos thanks to adam winrich uh, and april Choi. but for the most part there wasn't a lot of information and the information wasn't organized in a good way and so it was hard because I wanted to learn this stuff, but there wasn't a way for me to learn. And I could like buy DVDs from Australia, but um, I mean, I was 14 or 15 at the time. I didn't have the money. I didn't even know how to use PayPal or whatever. So that was my biggest challenge was just finding out how to do this thing. But I learned a lot from copying other people and trying to replicate things that I'd seen. Um, and that was you know, ultimately really formative in my journey in this hobby. And I'm, I'm really thankful for those years because it allowed me to be creative and to kind of put my own spin or twist on moves. Like there's a move called the gainer toss, which was invented by Todd Rex. 
And the way that he does it, he cracks the whip and then immediately sort of lets go. And the weight of the whip makes it flip over one half rotation and land back in his hand. And the whip actually cracks forwards, but travels backwards like a gainer backflip, which is super cool. Um, but when I learned that move, I didn't have a teacher. I only had this one video to learn off of. And I ended up over rotating every time. And I thought that the whip doing one full rotation was the way the move should be done. It was only years later that Adam showed me the proper way. But um, that full rotation move, I just think is so cool. And I still do it now instead of the regular gainer toss because I love the extra flip. I just think it's awesome. And it's just things like that that kind of make the way that I whip crack my own. And if I hadn't been able to figure out things by myself, like I probably wouldn't have all those little quirks that I do. So it almost sounds like you don't have any challenges today, but I still have to ask. What is your current biggest challenge? So Australian style two-handed routines are, are you know, the, uh, such are a challenge for everyone, I think, except for Daniel Wicks and Ben Hughes. Um, they're just incredibly hard routines. And um, my style involves a lot of throws and wraps and, and kind of weird moves, as I've said. Um, but Australian style of cracking is just pure, like, let's get the whip to crack as much as we can in as many spaces as we can in a super intricate way. People have their arms crossed and they have whips intertwining. And uh, it's it's absolutely mesmerizing to watch. And so those kind of tricks are my big struggle and something that I'm constantly working on. Uh, there's a move called the four corners, which I mentioned before. Um, and I was talking about doing it in one hand, but the Australians can do it in two hands and they can do it with the whips cracking together or staggered, or they can do it with one whip cracking over the other or them changing like from the top to the bottom and so on. And that's something I'd really love to be able to do because I just know it's like the, in my opinion, the peak difficulty of whip cracking. And I think it's just something to always aspire towards, but to do it is so tough. Um, so that's my big challenge is getting all, all of those cracks. And I can imagine it can become pretty frustrating after doing it for multiple hours in one like session to try to per perfect it. Yeah. So for you, has whip cracking ever stressed you out? And if so, what is your method to de-stress to just release that pent up energy? Ooh, yeah, I've definitely like had some frustration. I, c I can remember very specific times when I'm trying to learn, you know, this routine or that routine um, and it's just not working. And, and it's especially annoying when you're trying to do something that isn't difficult, but is confusing. So there's a routine that's called the changing eights, but sometimes it's called the mind bender because you have both whips are doing like pretty simple cracks. One's doing a slow figure eight, the other's doing a fast figure eight, except the fast figure eight happens in between the two cracks of the slow figure eight. And then the hand switch. So that the hand that was doing the slow figure eight becomes the hand that does the fast figure eight. It's, it's like, it's for someone that doesn't know how to do it, it's, it's super weird to make your mind work that way because your hands are doing two different things at two different times. And because those cracks are quite easy, it's frustrating to not be able to do this simple routine because your mind just can't make your hands do what they need to do. Um, and so those are times that it, it just like, it really gets on my nerves personally. But the way that I kind of combat it is like to slow down and to try and do each crack individually treat like instead of treating the whole routine as the thing I'm trying to do, treat each crack as its own thing. Um, and so that helps a lot. And also just to take a break and, and go back to things that I know how to do to be creative with it. And instead of just constantly drilling this routine that I can't do, try and find a way of doing it differently 
because as soon as I know like, oh, this has never been done before, this is a cool idea. I'm way more inspired to try and do it. And I have all this, this like drive to figure out how this is done because it's, it's just like creating something rather than trying to do something else that someone has done. So those are kind of my two strategies, I think, just slowing down and, and like putting my own twist on it, which makes it seem more appealing to, to figure out how to do. I could just imagine you, let's say you take a break and then you leave your whip in a corner or just on a, on your table. And then as you're doing it, something else, you look back at the whip and the whip is just taunting you like, yeah, you know <laughs> you want to. It's like, no, not now. I'm taking a break. And you come keep coming back to it. And it's like it's reappearing everywhere in your house. it's just teasing you but i like that idea that yeah you take a break and you come back to it and it's more of a creative aspect so you can't really mess up with creativity because you might end up creating something new in the process absolutely yeah it's totally like there's a, a guy named ed mondo and he has this cool trick i've seen before where he like throws a whip he's cracking two whips and he throws one in front of him and then he cracks the other whip and catches the first whip with the second whip and then pulls it back to him. What? And I remember seeing that and thinking like, there's no way you <laughs> thought of that. This accidentally happened and then you created it into something else. You know what I mean? Like that, it's, it was insane. It was so cool. I bet you you had to look at the video and look at his face, see how he reacted to that. Like, yep, that was on yeah. purpose. That was definitely on purpose. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was honestly like, what just happened? How did that? He meant to do it anyway. Good for Ed. Yeah, he's a cool guy. And now for a very important question, what are some misconceptions about people who do whip cracking? Oh, there's there's a lot. It's, it's That's a long list. I mean, the biggest one is like the sex thing. You know, everyone thinks the whips are like this kind of sexual, like, oh, he's into whips, you know, stay away from him or, oh, he's into whips, get really close to him. Those <laughs> are the two. It's, it's not like that. Like the whips that people use for that sort of thing are, are completely different. We use what are classified as single tail whips. So there's a whip and it ends in one point, which we call the cracker. And typically whips for, you know, BDSM or what have you have multiple tails. And definitely they don't hurt as much when you get hit by them. Like, at least I hope not. I, I don't know personally, but I mean, I've seen the damage that a single tail whip can do. Like I said, you can cut a pop can clean in half. Like it's, it's, it's you know, powerful. And I hope that people probably aren't into that, but you never know. So that's one thing. Um, and also there's things about like, maybe people think animal cruelty or they think, you know, you're a big Indiana Jones fan or what have you. And it's just, we kind of get put in these little boxes because people don't know a lot about whips or whip cracking. And, and oftentimes, like I've met whip crackers that love Indiana Jones is why they got into it. And I'm sure that's like the story for 40% of the people that I know, but it's like, that's not why we do it anymore. You know what I mean? And there's so much uh, culture and story and, and sort of this, this whole community behind this art form that it's not really like the thing that people typically think it is. It, it's like its own kind of, it's, it's very much like juggling. I think it's, it's uh, somewhere where we go to play, but also to create and, and to increase our skills. And we do it for the sake of just doing that. It's not really about anything else. It's kind of like pole dancing is not just strippers. People do it for exercise. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely, Alex. Yeah, that's exactly what it's like for sure. Man, I, my old neighbor used to do whip cracking and I found it so cool. And I just, you know, I never gave it a shot, but I would love to like see it again if I have the opportunity. Oh, you need to. You, you need to buy a whip for sure and, and give it a go. It's, it's so fun. It's like it'll draw you in. And also... It could make cool sound effects for your podcast. So that's a double win. <laughs> the intro just. Oh, that's. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, every time. That'd be so cool. And what has whip cracking taught you in life? Uh, it's taught me to be creative and it's taught me to 
I think be confident. Like before I was uh, a whipcracker, you know, I was kind of shy and I, there wasn't really, I didn't think like there was anything much about my personality. You know, it was just like, I'm Justin. I'm the kid that has probably played too much Super Smash Bros. Um, and that's fine. But when I got into whip cracking and, and became passionate about it, it really showed me the value of like having something that I love just for the sake of doing it. And it became who I am. Like a lot of people just know me as the whip guy, which like might not be the best thing someone could know me as, but it's better than nothing. <laughs> Um, so it, it taught me that. And yeah, it, it taught me the value of, of having a hobby, having a passion. I've had a lot of people ask why I don't do it for money because like I could, I could busk or I could do shows at Renaissance fairs or I could do whatever, but I don't want to do it for other people. Like I like to do it for myself. And, um, there's a lot of value in just doing it for the sake of it, bringing me joy, being creative and, uh, it's really easy. I think when you're performing to only practice tricks that people want to see. Um, they like loud things and fast things and musical things and big showy moves. And if that's what you're into, I mean, that's awesome. But sometimes it's just not what you're into. And you might be into something that um, maybe you like really technical routines that the audience just won't understand because their skill set and their knowledge base isn't there. And those aren't things that I want to give up just because I want to make money. So, I, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do it for myself. And that's something really valuable that whip cracking has taught me. Like there's value in doing things because they bring you joy, not just because there's some sort of economic uh, thing attached to them. And that is exactly why I have you here for just the love of your hobby. Whether you make money out of it or nothing out of it, it's just that it just makes you happy. It gets you through the day. It gets you through the cold winters in Canada. And I greatly appreciate people like yourself. Well, I appreciate you giving us the time to, you know, talk about what we love. It, it all, it, like it creates interesting conversations because if someone's passionate about something, they're going to want to talk about it and they're going to have something to say. So it's really cool, your podcast, uh, because I'm sure every episode is like you're, eight people are learning something and you're talking to someone that actually cares about what they're saying. And it's just it's a recipe for like a good conversation. And the best thing is timeless. So 100 years from now, if it's still up, somebody can pick this up and like, oh, cool. Justin whipping back in 2020. That's awesome. Now we have <laughs> futuristic whips with AI technology. And maybe know. they finally have those stupid LED lights in those yeah. that way. <laughs> yeah, it's a standard at that point. And by 3020, That's yeah. Did I say 100 years? Oh. That's 1,000 years. Wow, I can't count. Yes. <laughs> Do you have any word of advice for anybody who might be interested in this hobby? I mean, without trying to self-promote too much, definitely check out the website, canadawhips.com. Um, I've made it for beginners. Like I want everyone to have all the information I didn't have access to. So everything that you need to know hopefully is on there. Um, but also I, I would recommend just like watching videos, anyone that w with the whip basically, because you'll see stuff that you won't see anywhere else. Uh, it's really, really cool. And then look into buying your own or making your own. There's great tutorials online by Nick Schrader. And then making your own whip, I think is a really great way of getting started because you put in like, 10 hours of work into making this thing. And because you put in so much time, like you'll be dedicated to learning rather than just buying a whip and kind of throwing it in your closet after a couple of days. Mm. So that that's, yeah, there's, there's resources now that weren't around before and definitely um, take use of them. And then also try and find people that are near you because if you're pretty much every province and state has at least one other person. And because our community is small, Whenever we find someone new that's excited about the hobby, like we'll go out of our way to teach you and to help you. Uh, we love getting new people in and seeing what they can come up with and also 
showing them our style. So yeah, try and get in contact with folks because we're, we're a great group of people and we'd love to have you. First of all, this is your episode, man. You can promote as much as you want. It's your time to shine. I'm not going to take that away from you. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Send me money, everyone. Please send me money. Absolutely. Come on. I saw his (laughs) website. It's a wonderful website. Go show him some support. And um, actually, on that note, do you have any social media links, websites, or projects you're working on? I've asked this question at the beginning, but since you're a wonderful person, and I do this for every guest, I always ask it twice so people listening at the beginning can hear it then and hear it now. Oh, thanks. So yeah, check out my Instagram. That's j.whipper. I post a lot of my whip cracking there, almost all of it. Um, different tricks, different patterns, and that'll kind of give you an idea on different stuff you can do. Um, and also just like what can be, you know, created. And then canadawhips.com would be the website. So you can go on there and find out, you know, everything that you need to know, canadawhips.com. And then as well, YouTube and just type in whip cracking. Maybe you'll see Adam Winrich on there. He's got really, really great videos. Todd Rex has some cool stuff. Aaron Bonk, April Choi. Um, there's tons of people. If you just look for it, you'll find it for sure. That's fantastic. I'll put all that information down below so people can go click it, follow, show some support, and definitely, you know, support my friend Justin because he's a wonderful, pleasant person. Oh, thanks so much. And now for the last question, everybody knows what it is. Do you have any questions for me about whip cracking? Ooh, I think my first question is when are you going to start? That uh, that's a good question. I've asked, I feel a lot of people ask me that question when I interview them about their hobby, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'll start it soon. Um, I would love to before starting it. I'd love to actually see it again. I don't know if anybody in Ottawa does it, but if you're in Ottawa and are listening to this podcast episode and do whip cracking, I'd love to come see it. Uh, my house doesn't have enough room inside, so it probably have to be outside in public. Is it uh, illegal to do that in a park, or is that considered a weapon? Uh, it is legal. I'm not sure what it's considered as in the legal code. I know in the United States, it's considered a novelty item, similar to like an umbrella or something. Um, but I, it's like anything. I think if, as long as you're not using it in a menacing way, like it's it's not illegal for sure. It's um, something that, you know, you're just playing with. It's just a prop essentially. Uh, and oftentimes I have practiced in parks. And for the most part, whenever I practice, people want to know about it. They'll come up to me and they'll ask me what I'm doing or how I do it. And they'll want to learn because it is something that, it's it's kind of funny, like the whip is known as a as a weapon that was used, you know, for driving slaves or hitting animals and whatnot. But nowadays, like now that those negative connotations just aren't true anymore, it's it's kind of something that brings people together. You know, it's this magical like there's no other rope that can make a sound uh, a sonic boom. You know what I mean? It, the it's it's like its own thing and people want to know about it. So um, definitely, yeah, you should practice outside in, in public parks and stuff because it'll it'll just create interest and, and grow our community even more. Yeah, it breaks a sound barrier. That's, and that's kind of cool. Like not a lot of people get the chance to hear sound barrier being broken. Probably the only other time is when you hear a jet passing by. Exactly. Uh, I could be wrong, but yeah, like that's an awesome thing. Just imagine the tiniest little thing just snap sound like that yeah it's it's something I'm, i think i'm really privileged to get to hear a lot it's it's a really cool uh there's a video by smarter every day on youtube yes anyone that's listening <laughs> should watch about the whip crack it's it's super super cool it's it's an amazing like scientific thing that happens and and yeah i take it for granted just because i make it happen all the time but it's like just to get a whip crack to crack once is it's a magical feeling you know what i saw that video too and i was like oh that's cool they had like computer 
I was going to say computer points, but they have like spots on the whip to see how it rolls and how it makes the sound. Yeah, I, I love watching Smarter every day. So shout out to, uh, is it Dust, Dustin or Justin? I think it's Destin. I don't know on that channel. Yeah. Actually, speaking of which, so your name's Justin and tomorrow I'm interviewing a guy named Dustin. And the next day I'm interviewing another guy named Dustin. And then on Saturday, I'm interviewing a guy named Justin. So it's the, what? It, wow. and it's just by odd coincidence that I'm having all four of them back to back. So it's Justin, Dustin, Dustin, Justin. <laughs> oh, us Austins really like doing stuff. I dig it. Yeah. <laughs> all, all at once, but I'm excited for every single episode. Yeah, I'm excited too. So uh, yeah, there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Justin. There, I didn't say Dustin. For coming on my show and just sharing your love for whip cracking. I had a pleasant time and I can't thank you enough. Yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been really fun and I appreciate you know you taking the time to chat with me and getting to know you a little bit. And thank you for your podcast. It's super awesome. Well, you're very welcome. And if you guys would love to learn more about Justin, you can go check him out. I'll put all the information in the description below. So it'll be very easy to click, follow and show some support. And if you'd like to be on my podcast or have any questions at all, you can send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you like the podcast, you know, you can leave a review. They're always good. Whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, on a wall, on your neighbor's uh, house, you know, anywhere. They probably won't appreciate that. But yes, uh, if you want to show some more support, I sell merchandise on Redbubble with my Time for Your Hobby logo on it. On things you absolutely do not need, but it's there. And I also have a Patreon if you want to show some more support. Once again, this is all optional. So once again, thank you so much, Justin. Oh, no problem. Thank you. So until the next episode... Make some time for your hobby. Take care.